Hey, before we get into the message tonight, I, I've just felt like there were some things I wanted to share that were just on my heart, and, and uh, you know, what Tara shared, and then what Vanessa shared in the worship wrap-up, it, it's clear that God is, is trying to speak to some people that are here tonight, right? Isn't, it's great that he's, he's willing to chase us down. He's willing to chase us down. And I was praying for the service earlier, just at home uh, this afternoon, and, and uh, just pr- praying for our time together. And, 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 and I just had such a sense that there were going to be some people here. And, and as you look back on this year, that one of the things that, if you're honest with yourself, so appreciated uh, Tara challenging us in that way, that if you're really honest with yourself as you look over this last year, that one of the things that you would say about yourself, and maybe it's not this year, ju- not just this year, but it's been a pattern for you, is that you're too slow to act, too slow to respond. And, and as I was praying into that, I just I got some of these pictures just in my head. I felt like the Holy Spirit just creatively gave me. Like if, if you were to wake up in the middle of the night, right? You, you were, you, 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 you're thirsty and you're like, I, you know, you're, you're, I got to go downstairs and get something to drink. And you wander into the kitchen and, and then somebody's left the stove on and, and there's a grease fire in a pan. You're not going to say, I'll just worry about that when I get up, right? You're not going to do that. You, you see that it needs attention, and you're going to act. What, what if you come home from the grocery store, and you open up your house, and there's an intruder in your house? You're not going to say, well, it's just one person. I got all these groceries. I mean, I did the Walmart pickup. I should have got the delivery, but I, you know, I got I to gotta unload all this. But no, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to act. You're going to call for help. You're going to reach out. What if you're under your house for some ungodly reason, right? But you're under there, and you see that there's like a pinhole in one of the pipes, and it's spraying water. You don't go, huh, I'll worry about that later. right? You don't do that. But yet we do that in our marriages. We do it in our relationships with our kids. We we do it in our walk with Christ. I'm telling you there are some people here and those scenarios that I just described, that that's been your journey this past year. And God's saying to you, you've got to, you've got to act. These areas in your life, you feel it in your heart. Again, it might be your marriage. It might be your relationship with one of your children. It could be a situation at work. It could be a relationship even in the church that you call home. And if you call this your church home, maybe it's for you here. A relationship, there's tension And what I would say to you is trust the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Don't buy into the lie. It's not bad enough yet. You do not want a pattern established into your life that you only respond when the crisis is at its worst. Father, I just pray for people that are here tonight that have just been slow to act. I pray especially for the person that's been putting off making a vow of devotion, Jesus, to you for far too long. I pray for that person tonight, that something tonight, something maybe that's already happened, would inspire them to act and respond to the feeling of need that they have deep inside. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Hey, next week too, let me just give you a heads up. It's our annual sharing service. This one, I was crunching some numbers today. It'll be our 10th anniversary 
of the first Saturday uh, of the year being a time where during the normal uh, sermon portion of the service, uh, we open the mic and people come forward. There's a time limit. We've been doing it for a long time, so it flows really well. It's well-structured. It's not the week you want to take off. Let me, let me tell you why. Because there's going to be something that somebody shares that inspires your heart in a deep way. I, I can't tell you how many times over the last 10 years that somebody's gotten up and just shared something that God did in their life and it gave somebody else hope to believe that God was going to do something in their life. Sometimes people get up and share an amazing thing that God has done, but then sometimes people get up and share and they talk about the amazing need that they have and, and, and there's, a, there's a, it's desperation. And we're able to pray in that moment and move on and go to the next person. And so it's a, it's a powerful time. It's become a cherished tradition here. So again, that's next week that we'll be here. You don't have to, there's no compulsion to share. It's voluntary. Uh, but I think that you're going to find it's going to be an amazing service. And so we look forward to that next week, uh, that first Saturday of every year uh, in January. So we're staying in this series on the Holy Spirit. Originally, it was going to be a series just for December, the Holy Spirit, the forgotten gift of Christmas. Uh, but I shared with you last week, there's still so much more ground that we want to cover, and so it's going to at least take us up to our anniversary service. Uh, the last Saturday in January is our anniversary service. Every year, we're going to be celebrating our 13th anniversary as a church. So typically, that message is set aside to really cast vision for the coming year. Uh, and so we're going to stay with this series uh, up until then. Uh, I want to be able to cover topics like spiritual gifts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, spiritual language. We want to cover all of that ground uh, as we move forward. So we cover a lot of textual ground. I like to say this most weeks. So the, with the podcast uh, here uh, for the Newport News Campus, there's also a PDF document that lists all the verses that we cover. So if, we, if we're moving faster than you would prefer, then you can download that document. Somebody came up last week and said, you know, is there access to the notes? Absolutely. Every week, usually by like Tuesday, uh, those, the, the message is up and then also the uh, PDF document. So tonight, uh, our message, I've entitled it, Where is Everyone? I usually ask that question every week around 5.05. I know, yeah. It's convicting, isn't it? I know, I know, I know. We tell people, don't turn around until quarter after, or you're going to be discouraged. You'll be discouraged. No, where, where, this, this idea of where is everyone, when we think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we've been digging around in this series together, we've already acknowledged there's a mystery to the Trinity. We're not going to figure it all out. But that should not cause us to not want to understand more than we do now. There's still progress than we can make. And sometimes the Bible can be confusing because it seems to contradict itself when it's talking about where the Father is, where the Son is, and where the Holy Spirit is. So I want to tackle some of that tonight. Some of it is going to be a deep dive. It's one of the things I love about our church, the appetite that you have for some of the weightier parts of Scripture. We're going to take a big bite tonight. Somebody say big bite. A big bite tonight when we cover some, some theological ground. So, Father, just as we wade out into the depths of your word, Holy Spirit, just give us insight. Jesus, with your mind, as Paul wrote, the mind of Christ, that we can discern things that are beyond human understanding. And we just pray that over ourselves tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said... 
There, there are four main attributes to divinity. The notes actually say three, but I added a, a fourth one because I realized there was one that was, that was missing. Uh, on the screen there, you're going to see a, a slide. The ones that we typically think of, right, are omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. The idea that, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all-knowing, they're all-powerful, and they're ever-present. But I was thinking, you know, one that's often left out is the idea that God is infinite. This is part of the divinity of who God is. He doesn't need any stones either to do it, right? Just does it. I know, thank you, all you Marvel people out there. A little slow, a little slow. Let me just give you a two, let me give you two that talk about the infinite nature of God, and then we're going to spend most of our time tonight just talking about the omnipresent nature of God. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, and I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. He's infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's not created. He's just always been. Colossians 1.17, I love this one, says, He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together, the infinite nature of who God is. But he is also all-knowing, he is also all-powerful, and he is also ever-present. And you might say, well, which one are you talking about? And my answer is all of them, because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all share in this idea of being divine. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24, it says, Am I a God who is only close at hand, says the Lord? No, I am far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? Listen to Psalm 139, 7 through 10. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Let me share this thought with you. I think most people are willing to accept these verses that God is everywhere. The question is, what do we do with the verses that seem to say that parts of God, meaning the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are in a specific place? So we read verses like this that talk about God being everywhere. We understand that when the Bible talks about God, it's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, right? This idea of the three in one. So when the Bible gives us texts like Jeremiah, gives us texts like here we have in Psalm 139 that speak to the omnipresence of all of who God is, then what do we do with these verses that seem to say that sometimes they're in a specific place? I've been referencing this book by John Bevere. This is a great book. I recommend this book, but I'm recommending that you read it after the series because there's some parts of it that we would say we differ. And one of the main areas where he talks about that we differ as a church, where I differ in my teaching, is specifically when he gets into the world of where everyone is. Where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Father? And where is the Son? And so we're going to teach into that a little bit tonight. If you've got your Bible, you could turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I want to read you these two verses here, Acts chapter 7. Just, now, just to set it up, right, this is the first time someone was martyred in history for their faith in Christ. This is Stephen, one of the first deacons that was selected by the early church in ministry. And this is at the 
end of his proclaiming of the gospel in a public sense, we know that Saul is there. He's not yet had his vision on the road to Damascus. He's there inciting the crowd to violence. It says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in a rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right? It's a powerful text speaking of the parts of who God is because all of them are mentioned at the same time. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus. But a place is assigned to each one of them. The place of the Holy Spirit is being within Stephen. We see God in the heavens and his glory is revealed, but then it speaks of Jesus being at God's right hand. He says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then if you continue to read the story, you know that he is soon thereafter stoned to death. We cannot understand the mystery of omnipresence without accepting that texts dealing with the places assigned to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not limiting. Let me share that again. We cannot understand the mystery of omnipresence without accepting that texts dealing with the places assigned to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not limiting. What does that mean? How many of you like a good crime drama? Anybody like a good crime drama? I know it's one of my favorite genre of movies. And so when a crime has been committed and then they've got a suspect, right, that they're, they're interested in, that they think could be guilty, if that person is proclaiming innocence, what's one of the first things that they offer? It begins with an A. Yeah, yeah, it, somebody said that. Wow, like you've had one before. All right. Yeah, right? There's a little passion in there. Was that Sabra? All right. All right. Somebody text Scotty. All right. There's an alibi. And the reason why an alibi is so important in a criminal investigation is because we understand you can't be in two places at one time. Right At the point, no matter how much the evidence points to this person being guilty, if they've got a rock-solid alibi that they were somewhere else, they, they got to move on to somebody else. Doesn't mean that they weren't involved, right? We understand all of that. But if they weren't there, we can know because they were somewhere else. Now, this is where some aspects of Christianity get complicated for us because We've spent our entire existence in this natural world, and so when we're somewhere, we understand that we are limited. When a location is assigned to us, we cannot be in a different place at the same time. But yet, listen to what the Bible talks about Jesus. If we're asking the question, where is everyone, and we start with where is Christ, Look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Again, we see all three parts of God acknowledged here by Jesus himself in the Great Commission. Verse 20, it says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this. Listen to what he says. I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, no matter where you go, I'm going to be with you. It's interesting because Jesus knew that the disciples were not going to always be in the same place, but yet the disciples understood that promise to be true for each of them 
individually. Jesus is always with us wherever we go. Ephesians 1.23, and the church is his body, and it is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself, referring to the church and the universe at large. Now, this does not mean that Jesus is in everything. Now, we know from the theology of the Imago Dei, which is given to us in Genesis, right, that we bear the image of God, and part of that means that we have the capacity for God to live in us. This verse does not mean that Jesus is in the tree across the street. It also means that he's not in your pet. I'm just, just for the record. I know, I know. A third of the church will be leaving after that one declaration. No, 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 because every part of God's creation, it's by him, but all the animals, everything else natural, the statement that was made of them before he created them was he's going to create them to produce after their own kind, their kind. But when he gets to mankind, he says, let us make them in our image. And part of being in the image of God is that we have a capacity, a spirit, spiritual capacity that nothing else in this world possesses for God to live inside of us. Ephesians 1.23, Jesus is in everything, in the sense of the church and his family. Listen to Ephesians 3.17, then Christ will make his home, here it comes, in your heart. So people that say that Jesus isn't actually in your heart, no, no, Ephesians says he is. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And that's not talking about the organ of your heart. Here in the Greek, it's using this idea of heart, talking about the, the center of who you are, what makes you eternal. That's where Jesus is inside of you. I love John 14, 20. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus is in a lot of places, isn't he? Omnipresence isn't just about being everywhere. Omnipresence is also about being both everywhere and somewhere simultaneously. It's a weighty thought, isn't it? It's a big bite. Omnipresence isn't just about being everywhere. Omnipresence is also about being both everywhere and somewhere simultaneously. So Jesus can be here, he can be there, he can be everywhere and also with me and in me at all times. He is both big enough to fill the universe, listen to me, he's both big enough to fill the universe and personal enough to fill me. John 14, one through four. Jesus is in the final days with his disciples. He knows the crucifixion is coming where he's going to bear the weight of the sin of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? And yet he's the one encouraging them. He says, don't don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And when everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, this is a powerful text for them because we've talked about this before. Because in Jesus' day, when a groom was going to be married, he would build an addition onto his family's home and then he would go get his bride and then she would come back and they would live there together. So Jesus is drawing on this cultural imagery that's deeply meaningful for them. Most of them were probably married themselves and had gone through that same process. And and here Jesus is saying, hey, I got to go get ready, but I'm coming back for you. But if we're not careful, we will read these stories by themselves and draw a conclusion about Christ that is not accurate that seems to imply that because he's not there and he's here, that he can't be in both places at the same time. But we understand the Bible in light of itself. Can you adopt a perspective and a belief that Jesus isn't actually here, that he's in heaven because of texts like this? You could, but then you're understanding these texts outside of the context of all of Scripture, which teaches us that Jesus shares in the divinity of the Father, and omnipresence is part of divinity, and part of omnipresence is that you can be everywhere and somewhere at the same time. John 16, 5 through 6, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but Jesus again talks about leaving. Let me share this thought with you. Jesus is talking specifically here about shedding the humanity that he had to embrace. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to read that. Let me say it again. Jesus is talking specifically here about shedding the humanity that he had to embrace so that he could return to his full divinity. Here comes another big bite. Him leaving is actually him returning to being everywhere. Him leaving is actually returning to being everywhere. Jesus had to set aside some of the privileges of divinity when he was born into this world. And one of the things that he set aside was omnipresence. When Jesus was conceived in Mary, he embraced the condition of the alibi. Right? You can only be in one place at one time. So when Jesus talks to the disciples and speaks to us through Scripture that he's leaving, what he's talking about is that it's time for him to shed his humanity because he's fulfilled the purposes of God and dying for the sins of the world. Now it's time for him to shed his humanity, to re-embrace the fullness of his divinity, which now gives him the ability to be both somewhere and everywhere. It's a big bite. But if you don't take these big bites, I'm telling you, you're going to end up with wrong conclusions. And if you end up with wrong conclusions, it will send you down a path in your belief system that at some point you're going to pay a price in your experience. Let me give you some examples. 
If you're here tonight and you've lived life for any amount of time, you know what it feels like to be ignored. Maybe it was back in middle school and you got in an argument with some friends and all of a sudden you weren't in the circle. You're in between classes and, 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 and they treat you like you're not even there, right? That feeling of being ignored, it hurts. Maybe in your marriage you've got unhealthy dynamics that when you're in a conflict that one of the ways that, that, that you try to, 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 to react is that, that you, you make that person feel ignored because you know what hurts them. You know what hurts because you've been ignored and it hurts you. This is one of the experiences I'm telling you that have spiritual implications that if you don't buy into the fullness of the idea of the divinity of Christ that he can be both somewhere and everywhere at the same time then you are creating a feeling of, of Jesus being ignored in your life. Jesus feels. He's fully divine, which means that he feels more deeply than any of us. The idea of him being divine doesn't mean that he doesn't feel. It means that he feels more deeply than any of us could ever know. It's why when you get to certain places in the Old Testament, right, and there's a whole misguided theological stream that denies that God is all-knowing because of the strong emotional responses that God has at certain times. And it befuddles us because we say if he knew it was going to happen, then why would he have such a strong emotional response? Well, the reason because that's part of the depth of his divinity. Even though he knows it's going to happen. It upsets him deeply. Imagine if you knew that some terrible tragedy was going to take place in your family to someone that you deeply loved and there was nothing that you were going to be able to do to stop it. Do you think that when it happened, if it was even going to be 20 years from now, that it wouldn't cut deep in your heart? All of who God is is divine and part of divinity means that he feels deeply. And can we just agree together the last thing that we should want to do is create a feeling in the heart of Christ that he's ignored by us. But if we're not ready to acknowledge that Jesus is always present with us, then that's exactly what many of us do. In your times of prayer, do you talk with Jesus? You might say, well, Fred, that feels weird. And what I would say to you is welcome to your life. Jesus is present. How am I doing so far, Jesus? All right, thank you. Right, you with me? When we're worshiping down here, I'm talking to Jesus. I am. Talking to him. Thinking about who he is, what he's done for me. When you stop and reflect on who Christ is, I'm telling you, you're going to start having a conversation with him. What about when you sit down to read the Bible or you're talking with Jesus? Obviously, these things are true for the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But this idea of, of, of Jesus not being ever present, it minimizes my experiences when it comes to the pathways because he's there. Don't ignore him. Talk with him because you know what's going to happen. He's going to start talking back to you. You're going to start having a sense of Jesus beginning to speak to your life. You're going to begin to discover things about who Christ is. You're going to begin to see things in Scripture like you've never seen before because He's going to be there with you. 
Who else is there? The Father is also there. Who else? The Holy Spirit is also there. It's a group conversation. You're part of a squad of four. You're never by yourself. You're never alone. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are always there. Not just for you, but for every person. It's unbelievable, is it not? Big enough to fill the universe, personal enough to fill me in my every moment. Somebody say, where is the Father? That's what they're saying back there in the nursery. There's the father of this child. Dear God in heaven, tell that pastor to slope, to speed it up. Yeah, yeah, right, slow it down. That's their felt experience, right, that I'm always slowing it down. They like to speed it up. Now, everything that we just taught is true of the Father and the Holy Spirit. I focused on Christ because Christ is the one typically that suffers from this idea that that he's somewhere else because so many texts speak to where he is. But I want to talk about the Father being ever-present, and I want to talk about the implications for us specifically with the Father if we're not buying in to him being always with us, of being both everywhere and somewhere at the same time. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat. From the trees in the garden, the woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. And God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and Evil. Now, we could do a whole sermon series on this alone. Maybe we will coming in to 2019. It's one of the topics I've been praying about for us in the coming year. But for us tonight, I want to focus in on one reality of this text is that right here, that one of the greatest lies that the devil, one of the most horrific lies that the devil has ever inflicted upon humanity is to convince us that God is not present. Now, some of you, you've grown up with this story your whole life. Maybe you're going to see it for the first time tonight. But the most tragic part of this story is that the devil talks to Eve like God is not present. Do you notice that? He talks about God like he's not there. The devil's good at what he does. He's good at what he does. When he's tempting us, he's never just tempting us for the thing that he's putting in front of us. There's always something bigger afoot with his deception. And the biggest deception that you see here is the lie that God is not there. And he was there. Now you might say, well, Fred, that messes with my theology. And what I would say is, welcome to the City Life Church. We're going to mess with some of your theology here. 
For many of us, myself included, we've grown up around the church our entire life, and there's just things that we've bought into that, that just, they're not fully accurate. And I'm telling you, it harms us spiritually. You might say, well, Fred, that makes me nervous because if God was there, why didn't he stop it? That we're going to get there in 2019, I think. The devil wanted Adam and Eve to begin to shift and posture their belief about God that he's not present. Because when you begin to believe that God is not there, then you begin to give yourself permission to do things that God says you shouldn't do. Genesis 3, 8 through 11. Love this text. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asks, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you to not eat? The man replied, It was the woman, because this is what every brave husband does. He blames it on his wife. Oh, everything got sideways right here at the beginning of time. It was the woman who gave me the fruit. And I ate it. These verses, if we're not careful, we will read them as instruction about the nature of God. But they are not instruction about the nature of God. They are instruction about the predicament of man when we begin to give the voice of the devil influence in our life. These verses are not instructive about the nature of God. The implication, if you read them through the filter and the belief that it's speaking of God, then you will begin to come to the conclusion that God is not everywhere because then man can hide from him, that God is looking for him. It creates the appearance that God is not everywhere, right? This is the, listen to me, this is the experience which is the manifestation of the temptation that took place just verses before. When you begin to give the devil a foothold in your life, I'm telling you, he just begins to run amok with everything in your life. He's inserted the mythology that God is not everywhere, and it's not too many verses later where the felt experience of mankind is, is that we can hide from him. Listen to what else. There is also an implication. Is that God didn't know that they had eaten the fruit. Divinity is not just being ever-present, it's also being all-powerful, but it's also being all-knowing. God's not asking a question because he does not know. The question is being asked because it's trying to teach us the experience of the human condition when we begin to buy into the lies that the enemy whispers in our ear, is that God is not present and also that there are things that I can keep from him. 
Believing that the Father is both everywhere and somewhere is vital. Everywhere protects me from temptation. Everywhere comforts me in trouble. And everywhere assures me in my calling. Everywhere protects me from temptation. Everywhere comforts me in trouble. And everywhere assures me in my calling. You want to know why sex trafficking is rampant in areas like the 757 and other places similar? It's because these are resort destinations. And when people come to resort destinations, they feel separated from the people that they're accountable to, and it gives them a sense of permission to do things that they would not ordinarily do. The same is true in our spiritual life. When you begin to live and walk in the belief that is true, that God is everywhere, I'm telling you, there will be moments of temptation that you'll stop succumbing to because you'll recognize that the Father is there, that the Son is there, that the Holy Spirit is there, that you are a part of a group of four that is always moving through this world. And when you think about them being present, I'm telling you, you'll think less about doing things that break their heart. Everywhere comforts me in trouble. Maybe back when you were a child, there was maybe a moment in a public place, in a crowded place, where there was that brief moment. Maybe you actually got lost as a child, and you had to wait for your parents to come and find you. It is a terrifying feeling in the heart of a child to be separated from their parents. You never have to feel that in your life ever again when it comes to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You cannot be separated from them. Everywhere assures me in my calling. I love this one. If you've ever moved to another city and the company that you work for here isn't there, you got to go out and find a new job. But can I just tell you in your spiritual life, if God is, you're in the, maybe in the military or maybe your vocation causes you to move, maybe you're in the midst of a, a move right now and you're, you're, you're headed somewhere, can I just tell you that what God has called you to here, your calling transfers with you because God's there waiting for you when you get there. Your, job, your, your kingdom job transfers no matter where you go. But God isn't just everywhere. He's also somewhere, which means that he's here. And when you think about God being here, when you think about the Father being here, I hope it inspires you to pray more. I hope it inspires you to worship more. You might say, well, Fred, you skipped one. Yes, I did, because this is the one I want to talk about for a few minutes. I hope it inspires you to gather more. Now, you might say, well, Fred, if God is both everywhere and somewhere, then I can experience God at home or wherever I am. I don't really need to come to church. And what I would say is, yes, that's true, and then, yes, it's also trouble. Because this idea of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit being both everywhere and somewhere, listen to me, the somewhere parts, means that you experience each the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in unique ways in the somewheres that he calls you to. Can you experience the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit just together having your family? Yes, you can. 
But what I'm saying to you is there's something of him here that's unique, and you need to have all of it. Everything that he calls us to, it, it's not redundant. It's unique. I experience the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in a unique way in my own private times of prayer and reading and worship and all the other pathways, but I also experience Him in unique ways in smaller setting with life groups, with meeting with just men, and we experience Him in unique ways when we gather together. There should be something inside of you when you buy into the belief that He's everywhere and somewhere. It should inspire you to be here more because there's something unique about all of them that you're going to find here that you won't find in other experiences. And I hope that if you've been a part of the City Life Church for any amount of time, that something inside of you is going to be awakened and that there's going to be a hunger that's going to be quickened inside of you that begins to say, I want all of what God says is possible this side of heaven. This is why our message here at City Life is heaven now, heaven forever. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ, it's not just about where we're going, it's about where we are now. And it's about the life that we have and the richness and the fullness of it until eternity begins for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. John seven thirty nine. When he said living water... He was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in Him. Here it comes. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into His glory. If we're not careful, we'll take texts like this and we'll understand them to mean that although they are everywhere, they aren't necessarily somewhere. And where we're going to be headed in this series as we dig deeper into the idea of the person of the Holy Spirit and who He is and how He moves in our lives, that just because the Bible says that He wasn't here doesn't mean that He already wasn't present. He was just going to be present in a new way. And for some of you, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit in a new way in your life. And my hope and my prayer for you is that you're going to be hanging out with us over the next several weeks. We do that sharing service next week. But then in the weeks after that, as we take a deep dive into the Holy Spirit, I pray that that it creates a hunger inside of you to want more of Him and for some of you to want Him in a new way like you've never experienced Him before. Stand with me as we worship. Father, I pray. That in this moment, for every person here, that they're going to experience worship in a way that they've never worshipped before. Because right now, as we begin to sing this song, that they're going to realize, I'm not just here with my family. I'm not just here with my friends. Or maybe if they're here by themselves, they realize that they're not alone. That both the Father and the Son and the Spirit are present. And I pray, Father, that they're going to find some words to say to each of you as we worship together in the name of Christ. And everybody said, amen.